You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate. Uh, so enjoying this Red Letters series and so excited to continue in it today. Uh, when I was in college, we did a sermon series. Uh, that was almost 10 years ago now. I can't believe it's been almost that long. But when I was in college, we did a sermon series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Uh, and it was all about the tough teachings of Jesus that uh, really challenge us to, to count the cost of following him and really make us ask those tough questions about what it actually means to be his disciple. And today, our text in Matthew 10 is one of those teachings. And so I want to tell you right off the bat that uh, this would probably not be the funniest sermon you've ever heard. It might not be the, the most lighthearted sermon you've ever heard, because what we have to talk about today is one of the tougher teachings of Jesus. And you may find a point in the sermon where you go, man, I wish Jesus never said this, uh, because the implications on our lives are pretty heavy and pretty serious, but very, very important for us to consider. And so we're going to get into Matthew 10 in a little bit, um, but by the end of this, I hope you have wrestled with two big ideas. First, uh, what does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to love Jesus? And second, I hope you wrestle with this idea of uh, answering the question, what do I tend to love more than I love Jesus? What do I tend to love more than I love Jesus? So those two questions, what does it mean to love Jesus? And what do I tend to love more than him? Sometimes we will encounter challenges in our life, hardships, trials, loss, that make us question what we really believe. They challenge us to go deeper in our faith and discern what, what do we actually believe about following Jesus? Do we actually trust what the Bible says about him and us and the universe, right? Do we actually believe this stuff? And our faith can be challenged. Uh, but reality is that aside from those challenges in life, I think that for decades now in American Christianity, it's been possible to be a Christian, to have maybe even a saving faith in Jesus, uh, but not necessarily have to decide day by day whether or not you're going to be a disciple. That for a long time, there's been enough alignment between the values of our culture and the values of Christianity that those overlapped enough that you could kind of fake it till you make it. You could kind of fit in with society and live the life you've always wanted, be a generally good person, and that gave us this sense of uh, of passing passing by with our faith, that it was good enough, that we were following Jesus uh, faithfully enough because there wasn't a lot of conflict. There wasn't a sense of uh, misalignment between the world around us and the life that we, we feel like we could be living, life we've kind of wanted, and what the Bible actually teaches. But I think in, in recent days, that world is evaporating. In the last two years, it feels like that world is evaporating very quickly. And it's becoming more and more obvious that Christians will now have to make weekly, if not daily choices to decide, am I going to do what Jesus calls me to do? Am I going to love God and his ways and his kingdom? Or am I going to love my ways and the ways of this world? That deciding what it means to be a disciple, counting the cost and following Jesus is becoming a more real reality, uh, a realer thing for us in American Christianity than maybe it's ever been in our lifetime. And I think that the, the temperature is only rising. 
uh, Mark Sayers, he's a, a great pastor in Australia. And, and if you know anything about Australian culture, they're kind of decades ahead of us in terms of post-Christian trends and and a culture that is uh, highly secular and has very little uh, love for Christianity or Christian values. Um, but he's a pastor there in Australia, and he's a sharp thinker about world news. And, and he argues that while we might be alarmed by things like the BLM protests in 2020 uh, or, or the pandemic or the January 6th riots at the Capitol, uh, those things might alarm us and cause us concern. We actually shouldn't be that surprised. He, he argues that uh, the, the last few decades, last three decades maybe since, uh, or four decades since the 80s, we've been living in a time of abnormal peace, an abnormal, uh, abnormally peaceful time in, in world history. And so what's happening now, this chaos of the pandemic and the chaos of riots in our streets and the chaos of political turmoil and conflict is actually not that crazy. If you look at the span of history, it's actually pretty normal. But we've been living in an abnormally peaceful time and it's shifted our expectations to think that it should always be peaceful and always be calm. And now we're actually having to deal with questions of life and death. And that's crazy for us, uh, at least as Americans. If you go outside of America or outside of the West, uh, you'll find these kinds of questions facing people every single day. And when we face these questions and these these moments of chaos, it makes us question, uh, what is our faith really doing in our lives? Does it have, uh, does it hold weight? Does it hold water? When when pressure comes and rains down on our lives, is Jesus and, and what we believe about him enough for us? Do, do we really have the faith to stand in light of these trials? And as your pastors, we're growing increasingly desperate to, to learn how to better equip you to live a, the life of a disciple, not just have a faith in Jesus, not just have a set of beliefs in Jesus or the Bible, but actually to live the life of a disciple where God has you right now in this time and space, and, and to be a people who are continually conformed into the image of Christ. That God, that, that we would be people who are marked by the love of God and Christ-like character and, and a devotion to the ways of Jesus. That's our hope for you. And for a long time, it's felt easier to help people follow Jesus than it does right now. To be honest with you, it, it feels very difficult, increasingly difficult to help us actually know how to love and follow Jesus. There is so much more pressure and so much more that seems to be pulling our hearts and our minds away from Christ. The last couple of years seem to be this, this sifting process that God is causing to, to really help us see uh, what it really looks like to follow Jesus. It's like the contrast is being turned up and we're seeing in more stark black and white, this is what a disciple lives like. This is what it looks like to live like the world. That is turn, That contrast is turning way up in the last couple of years. And so it's our conviction that we wanna help you understand more and more how to actually be a disciple, how to make the tough choice to love and obey Jesus when pressures of life uh, would lead you elsewhere. It makes me think of Jesus and the way he wept over Jerusalem. He said that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. We have the same compassion for you, Resonate, that we want uh, to help you be um, we, we want you to be like sheep. We don't want you to be like sheep without a shepherd uh, in an environment where wolves seem to be growing in number. And so uh, Jesus, he knew 
what he was doing with his disciples. He knew how to feed the sheep, and he knew that he was sending them out to be among wolves in this world. And so I think that more than maybe ever in our lifetime, we may have this sense of, of uh, connection with the early disciples. Because as the, the pressure of our culture increases, the hostility toward Christianity increases, the more we are going to be able to identify with Jesus and his disciples. So I say all that to set us up to, to be able to engage, engage this text in Matthew 10 and see what Jesus does with the sheep he was leading, the apostles he was leading, as he sends them out into a world that is very hostile to his message and his kingdom. Um, so let's look at Matthew 10. We'll start in verse 5, and we'll, we won't be able to cover all of the verses, so I encourage you to go in and read this chapter carefully a couple times this week, um, but we'll kind of jump around from, from a couple different sections. So Matthew 10, uh, verse 5, we'll start there. It says this, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the same message Jesus taught, right? That he was proclaiming the coming of his kingdom, that he was a king and he's bringing a new kingdom to bear on our lives. And he says this in verse 8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. All right, so Jesus, he gives them very clear instructions. He says, go and proclaim this message that the kingdom has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. That's quite the task, right? That's quite the, uh, the set of orders. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be up to that task. I would have a lot of questions like, number one, how do I heal people? Number two, what do I do about demons? Uh, let's just start there, Jesus, because that's, that's pretty different. Um, and they'd seen Jesus do these things, and now he's saying, hey, you can go do them as well. Um, and I, I think that that would be, for me, a little bit of a moment of panic. I'd want to know a little bit more than what Jesus says here. Uh, so let's see what he, he continues to teach them about this task and where he's sending them. Skip down to verse 16. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them, as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Brother will betray brother. You can skip to verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father, to, uh, and a father his child. Children will re rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. Here's a, here's a key verse here. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Okay, so Jesus, he, he sends out the disciples. He gives them instructions. And then he says, oh, by the way, you are like sheep among wolves. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be brought 
before councils. They're going to question you. What is this teaching? Where is this is this coming from? Whose kingdom are you talking about? What is this king that you seem to be proclaiming the authority of? They're going to have problems with that because they're in power and they don't want Jesus to be in power. And he says, you're going to go out and you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have flog- you'd be flogged. You're going to be thrown in prison, all because of Jesus and his message of the kingdom. So what do we learn here? One, we learn that Jesus calls his disciples to remain faithful to him, even in the face of persecution. Right? He says that the one who, who stands firm to the end will be saved. So he says, look, there's going to be pressure on you, and the temptation will be to betray me. The temptation will be to choose an easier path. To say, uh, you know what? I thought I loved and wanted to follow Jesus, but uh, it's just not worth it. And he says this to his disciples. And uh, and the, the, the other thing we should learn here is that we can expect that people will reject us because of, we love Jesus. So they'll reject us. And, and it, depending on the culture we live in or the time we live in, and who knows how this might change, but, but even now there are places in the world where people can expect not only to be rejected socially, but to be tortured or killed because they follow Jesus. That is, that is a, an expectation disciples should have. Whether or not it's your current reality, we have to wrestle with this and come to terms with the fact that Jesus calls us to a kind of allegiance and a kind of devotion to him that would stand firm in the face of persecution and even death. Is that something that we have wrestled with? Is that something you've wrestled with? Have you, have you worked that out in your heart and your mind, uh, whether or not you're actually that devoted to following Jesus? And, and the good news is, I think God gives us grace and power in those moments. He says that. He says that he gives us words to speak, power to stand if we are his disciples. But, but, but we still need to wrestle with that. And I think we can understand all this persecution stuff in theory, and we can we can get that. Uh, but then there's some stuff here that Jesus says that I think is really hard for us to understand because it flies in the face of everything that feels natural and right to us. Uh, so skip down to verse 34. This is where you get this picture of a dividing Jesus, a, a, a Jesus that divides us from one another. And, and this is a hard teaching. So this is the this is the part that I really wish Jesus never said. Um, And I think you'll see why. Verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth, to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Here we go. Here's here's the big, big verse in all this. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever finds their life in in this world, in the things of this world, will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Let me just read that again. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than Jesus is not worthy of Jesus. That's got to be one of the toughest things Jesus has ever said. It cuts right to the heart of what Jesus came to do. And it also, again, it just hits us like a ton of bricks because it feels so counter to the natural inclinations of our hearts to to love people that we, we know God calls us to love. But then Jesus comes and says, you need to love me more than the people who are most precious to you. And if you don't, you don't understand what I've come to do. You don't understand what it means to know and love God. You're not worthy of me. Jesus came to displace all things, even good things, that our broken, idolatrous hearts would place in a position above knowing and loving him. He, he knows that he is the only thing that can, can be a foundation for our souls. He knows that he's the only one who can satisfy our desires and the longings of our souls. And so if there's anything, no matter how good or righteous it might be, that takes number one spot in our souls and our hearts above Jesus, that thing's got to be moved down a peg. That thing has to come after him. He has to be loved more supremely. More, He has to be seen as more valuable than that thing. Whatever that is, mother, father, son, daughter, Jesus says, if you don't, if you love anything more than me, you're not worthy of me. This is really difficult stuff. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, 5, and he said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So Jesus says that we are to love him above all things because by loving him first, all other things fall into their proper place. No other thing in life is able to satisfy us like Jesus and his love for us. And no other thing in life, no other person can actually bear the weight of our the needs of our souls. Have you ever watched this? Like when you when you obsess with someone, when you when you put the pressure on them of being your one and only, it is almost unbearable. It, it is unbearable, and maybe you've gotten to that point in a relationship. I, I know I have at times in my life where I have made someone uh, in in high school. I would make uh, a boy uh, a girlfriend my one and only, the 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 person that I wanted to give all of my attention, all my affection to. And, and to be honest, it crushed people. It was too much to bear. My happiness was too much for that person to bear. And maybe you've been in that scenario in life where you have, have uh, made a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a child your everything. And, and you see them crumbling under the weight of your happiness, the expectation of your happiness. It's too much for anyone or anything to bear. And Jesus knows that. And so not only is it for his glory that he comes and says, I need to be number one, but it's for our good because he knows that only he can satisfy. And so that raises a few questions, right? If we are to love Jesus above all other things, it raises a few questions like, what does it mean to love Jesus? How do we love Jesus? 
And then the, the second question would be, where does this love come from? How, how do we have the kind of love that we need to love Jesus above all other things? So what does it mean to love Jesus? Let's dive into that. It means that we treasure and cherish Jesus above all other things. So I, I love my kids. You could offer me a billion dollars to sell you my kids, multiple billions of dollars to sell you my kids. And I would never do it because they're so much more valuable to me than all the money in the world. They're so much more valuable to me. And that's what love uh, is. You, you see what we love by that, the things that we value and treasure and, and see as precious and dear to us. I love my wife. I treasure her. She's, she's precious to me, and I devote myself to loving her and seeking what's best for her. And when I don't treat her well, when I fail to love her well, um, when, when I don't, when I, when I treat her in a way that I don't, I shouldn't, when I don't make time for her and I don't treasure her, it's an indication of a lack of love for her. So we treasure that which we love. So maybe this would help on another level. So that's a pretty deep love, right? My wife and kids. On another level, I love golf. I really do. It's my favorite activity, favorite hobby. If I could do it once a week or more, I would. But I don't have time or money for that. But if I'm not careful, I'll allow my love for golf to lead me to make decisions that are not very wise. I will spend far more time and money either playing golf, thinking about golf, uh, watching YouTube videos about golf, uh, whatever it is, I will devote myself to golf. And, uh, and, and that's because I love it. And so whatever it is that you find yourself kind of obsessed with and you want more of, and you're, you're just arranging your life to get more of that thing, that's the thing you love. That's what you love. So maybe it's time with a person. Maybe it's affection from a person. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's more money or more success or more uh, praise from somebody or whatever it is, we gear our entire lives, we arrange our entire lives to try to get more of that which we love. Just for a minute, let me ask you, what do you love? What do you treasure more than anything else? And for a minute, let's just assume it's not Jesus, okay? Uh, I'm sure that it's that's not real for you. I'm sure Jesus is number one and you love him more than anything else, right? Um, okay, so let's just assume it's not Jesus. Uh, is it a person? Is it your spouse, your kids, your, your boyfriend or girlfriend? What, what do you love? What do you treasure more than anything else? Is it money, your career, or is it a hobby? Whatever you love, it, it shapes you and guides you. We love what we treasure and what we see value in. Our emotions, our will, our desires, everything is aimed at the things that we love. And our love for that thing or person, it grows as we invest our emotions, our will, our money, our desires, our time into them. So love for Jesus is the same. We may want to put it in another category and think that, oh, it's, it's you know, we, we love Jesus by obeying him, or we, we, to love Jesus just means to, to believe in him, um, to have a certain set of values based on Jesus, but, but it's not. He, he's a person. He's a person. Love for Jesus is not just about obedience or belief in the teachings of the Bible, but it's actual love. 
heartfelt love in the soul, in, in the emotions. Christianity is not a set of beliefs, but a real growing relationship with the God of the universe. It's a response of our emotions, our will, our desires to see Jesus as the most valuable treasure above everything else. This can be difficult for us to understand sometimes. This can be challenging to to understand that we are to actually love God the way that we love any other person that we adore and treasure and see as valuable. And we are to love him with the perfect love that he gives to us. And so that brings us to our second question. Where does this love come from? How can we love like Jesus? Do you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the Pharisee's house where Jesus is eating dinner at the Pharisee's house and they're reclining at table and 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 all of a sudden there's this woman who is weeping and just uh, washing Jesus' dirty feet with her tears and wiping them with his with her hair and and I can imagine just the social awkwardness of this moment like uh, just kind of a weird moment. They're trying to have a conversation and this woman is over here weeping and wiping her tears off of Jesus' dirty feet um, because, you know, she's she loves him. <laughs> she's showing deep appreciation and affection and adoration for Jesus. And the Pharisee recognizes how awkward it is and he says, Jesus, would you mind, you know, can you ask her to stop? Uh, and, uh, and Jesus replies to the Pharisee and says, um, let me tell you a little story. Um, and he tells a story about two men who are in debt. And he says, uh, one man is forgiven a little debt, and the other man is forgiven a massive debt. Like, in our maybe terms, it'd be millions and millions of dollars in debt that he could never repay. And he's forgiven that debt. And then Jesus says, who do you think is going to love the, the person who forgave the debt more? The person who's forgiven little or the person who's forgiven much? And the Pharisee answers correctly that the person who is forgiven much probably loves that man more. And Jesus says, you're right. And so this woman is dis- displaying and expressing love because she knows how much she's been forgiven. She knows how unworthy she is. She knows how broken she is. And she knows that Jesus has forgiven her. And so she is overwhelmed with love for him, overwhelmed with affection for him. That there is nothing she loves more in this world, in, in that moment, than Jesus because she knows that he has forgiven debts that she could never work off. She has been forgiven sins that she could never make right. And this Pharisee who thinks he has very little to be forgiven of doesn't understand her because he knows, uh, he, he doesn't know the love of God the way she knows the love of God. He hasn't experienced the forgiving grace of God in Jesus for him. And so that's what that's where this love for Jesus comes from. It, it comes from the fact that we have been forgiven much. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We love in response to the great love he showed us in dying for us on the cross, that when we are supremely unlovable in our sin, we were separated from him, we, we were so far gone, he loved us and died for us. This is the way the Apostle Paul puts it. He says in Philippians 3, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything is invaluable compared to knowing the God who loves me and forgave me of my sin. So when was the last time you stopped long enough to dwell on that truth? 
that you have been forgiven so much? When was the last time you stopped and thought deeply about God's love for you? I know for me, I can go days, weeks, maybe even months without ever stopping long enough to ask God to help me see once again how much he loves me. To believe with childlike faith that Jesus died for me because he loved me, because he does love me. And to then reflect on that and believe that and rest in that enough that my emotions are stirred, my affections are stirred. And if I dwell on that long enough, my heart is awakened to love God in response. And I see how beautiful he is, how wonderful he is, how good he is. And and there is nothing better than him. And I want more of him. And the more I do that, the more it feeds my love for him. So our love for Jesus grows as we fix our minds and our hearts on him and what he's done for us. That's when we can truly treasure him and love him more than anything else. It takes Just like any other relationship, it takes time. You have to behold the one you love. You have to spend time with and invest in the one you love to see that love grow. And Jesus says, you need to do that with me more than anything else because I'm the only one who satisfies you and I'm the only one worthy of that kind of devotion. But what's at stake here? Why is Jesus so painfully clear about this? What do we risk if we don't understand this difficult truth? He says, if you don't love me above everything else, you're not worthy of me. That means if you don't love him above everything else, you don't have him. You don't have him. This is the kind of relationship Jesus calls his disciples to. He does not call us to a half-hearted pursuit of him, a half-hearted allegiance to him. He calls us to total devotion to him. Not only is he worthy, Not only is is he good and can satisfy us, um, but but we are called to to, to know, we, we get the benefit, we get the blessing of knowing and loving Jesus. We get the life that comes from knowing and loving God. It's a pretty big deal. If you don't love him, you don't have him. So what do we do if we come to realize that we actually love any number of things or people more than we love Jesus? What do we do if we come to that place? Well, the good news is that he is a gracious and good God that loves to restore us to himself. He's done it over and over in our lives, and he wants to do it. Again, if you find yourself in that place, maybe, you're, uh, maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never come to know Jesus, um, you can start loving him today. He's certainly loved you. But maybe you're a Christian and you've subtly and slowly drifted from Jesus, and you've learned, you've you've allowed yourself to begin loving other things more than you love Jesus. First, uh, what what do we do in response to that? First thing is we can take an inventory of the things that we love and have given our allegiance to. So maybe that's uh, uh, America. Let's just start there. Maybe we love our country and the life we have here more than we love Jesus. Or or maybe that's a political party or an ideology. Maybe it's your, or you're standing in a certain social group. Maybe it has to do with your sexuality and your, the identity you formed for yourself that you love more than you love 
knowing and loving God. Perhaps it's a relationship or a person or a friendship or a career or money or hobby or any other thing. Do we love any of these more than we love Jesus? If we do, we will not take up our cross and follow him. We will not remain in the face of persecution. We will not uh, follow him when the pressure and the pain of life leads us to seek relief in this life and at the cost of the next life. When, when the pressure comes, we will fold. And what does all this have to do with where we started, that the world is changing and, and increasing in hostility toward us? This is the difficult teach, a difficult teaching because Jesus says that loving him above all else will come with painful division and loss in this life. Families will be divided because you will choose to love and obey Jesus more than you love and obey your family. Maybe you know that. Maybe you've had that experience. If you're committed to following Jesus, there will come a time when others will not understand you because Jesus will cause you to, look, to take a course of action that they will find strange. And that's the best case scenario, that they find it simply strange and they don't understand. The worst case scenario is that they completely reject you or even hate you or maybe even kill you because you love him. Are we preparing a love for Jesus that can endure that kind of pressure? That, that's how we come full circle here. Will our love stand the love for Jesus stand the tests that might come our way? And maybe they're small tests right now, and we're finding that we actually love other things more than we love Jesus. How do we cultivate a love that is that can endure when pressure comes? So first, we must take an inventory of our love and allegiance, and where does it lie? What do we love more than Jesus? Second, we must commit to treasuring Jesus. By seeing his love for us. Again, if we do this out of uh, obligation, that's not love. That's not love. It starts with this step right here that we see once again in a new and fresh way how much God loves us in Jesus. How much uh, deep, deep love for us that God has by sending Jesus to die for us. How much Jesus desires relationship with us. How much he adores us. How much he knows us and wants what is best for us. As we behold his love for us in the word and through prayer and in community and by meditating on the cross, we get to see God's love for us and that motivates our love for him. You can't white knuckle love for Jesus. You have to uh, receive and, and then respond. And finally, we must be willing to, to treasure Jesus in our actions. So we have to get a better vision for love for him by seeing his love for us. And then we have to learn to move that into action, to treasure him with our actions. So what does that mean? That means making time to love him. That means fixing our mind on things that are good and holy and help us to see him the way he actually is. It means making time and action to love Jesus. So this week, can you make time to ask Jesus to show you maybe for the first time in a while, just how radically he loves you. I know I want to do that this week. And let that lead you to love him and treasure him above all other things. It starts with that simple prayer. Just, Jesus, would you show me your love? Would you show me how much you love me? Because I want to love you in return.
And then would you teach me to arrange my life to reflect the fact that I love you above all other things? And work that out in community and help one another take action to make Jesus the first and most wonderful, beautiful thing in your life. To show that, to, to have a life that displays that you love him above all other things. This is a tough text, but it's what Jesus has called us to. So let me pray for us to that end. Jesus, thank you that you are so gracious to us. Thank you that when we love other things more than you, you're gracious to restore us. That when we love the praise of people or we love um, an, a person more than we love you or our, our family or our children or a career or when we love pleasure or when we love money or hobbies, whatever it might be, God, we give ourselves to such... Uh, to so little in this life. We're uh, content to um, play in a puddle when you've offered us the ocean. And so would you help us to see um, just the, the immense depth of your love for us? And I ask that that would motivate us and stir in us a genuine, emotional, heartfelt response of love for you. Pray that right now, Wherever, wherever people are listening to this, God, would you stir in their hearts deep affection for you? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.